So we've just been uh, getting underway in our study of the book of Philippians, and uh, <clears throat> if you're new this morning, we just uh, go through books of the Bible and go through them verse by verse, and so we've been going through Philippians, uh, which is one of my favorite books uh, in the Bible, and uh, a very important part of the service actually is a, we have a discussion time, uh, we have about 35, 30, or about 30 minutes after the message, and we really desire all of you to stay and participate in it. Uh, because we put this in place a good while ago uh, in order for it to help internalize the message and so that we could also learn from one another. Um, you might be encouraged by something that you heard from the message and, um, and you might, the Holy Spirit might speak through you to someone else um, through that time. And sometimes, you know, in those discussion times that we have uh, after the message, you know, someone will say something and... Uh, it speaks to my life, and it, it just it changes my life. And um, um, I think that's the way God intended it uh, to be in the church. And uh, you know, if that if something that's said during the discussion time sticks with you and changes your life, that's um, uh, not even something that you remember from the message. That's that's fine by me. God is pleased when we encourage one another. Uh, so this morning we're going to dig into Philippians one verses nineteen through twenty six. And as we look in depth at these verses. It won't surprise you as to how the songs for this morning were chosen. Um, I think you'd all agree that the Apostle Paul could have written all of these songs this morning uh, if he was a songwriter, uh, because they match how he lived. Um, and this morning, we're going to see the lens through which Paul approached living life, which I would argue is the same way that we should approach living life. And uh, we're going to see clearly the way Paul is thinking as he tackles the circumstances of life. And I use that word tackles because I think a lot of the time we feel like life is tackling us. Um, so how did, Paul's life, how did Paul um, face life circumstances? And how do we face life circumstances? We'll look at some of those things this morning. Um, we've talked before about how Paul emphasizes joy and rejoicing throughout the book of Philippians, and today's passage is no different. Um, you know, what was going on in Paul's life that made his responses to the difficult circumstances of life seem so radical? I think sometimes we, um, somehow we think that like uh, Paul's life was unique, and, and in some ways it was, it was unique, but in the things that we're talking about today, um, uh, his responses to those things doesn't have to be unique. Um, should not be unique for, for any Christian. <clears throat> and um, I would argue that Paul understood that joy in his life was not a luxury, but it was a necessity. Nehemiah 8.10, I think I shared this one time before, says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy is really not an option for us. It is essential for us. Why? Because we need to be strong in the Lord in order to walk by faith on a daily basis. And I would argue that of anyone we read about in the New Testament, Paul would be a walking billboard of Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord was indeed his strength. Think about this. By the time he wrote this letter to the Philippians, he had already experienced all of these things that I'm about to read to you, which he listed in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, five times I received 39 lashes at the hands of the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. 
Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from the Jews, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Raise your hand if you've experienced that whole list. I don't think so, but I mean, I think, you know, maybe many sleepless nights. My wife's had a sleepless night last night. Um, she struggles with insomnia sometimes, and so she can identify with that. Maybe we feel like we've been hungry and thus because <laughs> from time to time, but I'm not sure if it was in the way that Paul was because... <laughs> We're pretty close to a convenience store, you know, at any given time in our day. <clears throat> but um, my goodness, after he went through all of these things, as we will see in Philippians chapter 4, he could still say, rejoice in the Lord. Always, again, I say rejoice. So some of you know, we did a little switch in the order of the verses in order to accommodate uh, the Stanley family's vacation this week. So last week, Eric taught through verses 27 through 30. Um, so now this week and next week, we're going to cover the verses previous to that, 19 through 26. And if you remember, we concluded two weeks ago, so I'll try to refresh our memory of what happened right before verse 19. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, this is what it said, Paul writing. What then? This is in eight, verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So if you remember, others were preaching Christ out of envy and jealousy towards Paul. But Paul was like, you know what? So what? I'm going to rejoice in that because the gospel is moving forward. And I think we need to take a lesson from Paul in this. Paul was not a Christian who was easily offended. And I think God doesn't want us to be Christians who are easily offended. In fact, Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Paul lived that verse. So Paul was rejoicing because the kingdom of God was advancing. But then starting in verse 19, Paul adds this. Yes, and I will rejoice. Now that may sound redundant. You're like, okay, didn't you just say that, Paul? Um, but the meaning that he's trying to convey is yes, and I will continue to rejoice. What is it that brings Paul to this second statement of rejoicing? I'm going to try to let the scriptures persuade us this morning that Paul's life, which from our perspective here in the book of Philippians, appears to be one of a person living in constant joy and rejoicing was because of the way in which he viewed God. And so we're going to look at six things, um, four things this week and two next week. I thought we'd get through all six, but I'm telling you, I... I uh, Yesterday, I just, you know, and I don't know. I don't know what time we'll get done. It's really hard to, you know, in the, in, in the iPad here, you know, you get 18 pages. So I don't know. Maybe I'll be done by 11. We'll have plenty of time for discussion. Or maybe I'll go till 1130. I don't know. <clears throat> and I could have gotten all six in, but we'll see. Um, I just didn't want to shortchange the last two because they're really important. Two, we'll be able to walk or... But if we imitate Paul in these things, we too will be able to walk through life with a constant attitude of yes, and I will continue 
to rejoice. So number one, we will be rejoicing and have joy when we don't forget that God is at work in our lives. We will be rejoicing and have joy when we don't forget that God is at work in our lives. Joy comes when you and I remember that we are not on our own. We're not bouncing around through life alone. We're not like drifting, you know, on the sea of time, you know, until our time is up. But God is at work in our lives. And when you and I embrace that reality, it will bring us joy. So let's look at verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. We're not going to get very far. We're just going to get with, for I know. The word I know in the Greek has the idea of absolute conviction based on experience, perception, or observation. Like if you were to say, um, which many of you might have said this before, I know this to be true in my life. You know, because you've you've perceived it, you've experienced it, you've observed it. Paul is saying that I know, that's the I know he means here. Paul is saying that I know God is at work. He was at work in the false accusations against me. He has been at work through the unjust imprisonment. He is at work through my being chained to this Roman soldier. And God will keep on working. Paul knew that God was at work in his life and in others around him on the hard days on the easy days, and everything in between. Do we have this kind of confidence? Remember Philippians 1, 6, and actually I really like this the way the ESD says, the ESV translates this, and I am sure of this. Now the verses translate it, um, I am confident of this very thing. It's kind of the same thing, but I just like those words. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And in not too many weeks from now, we will look at Philippians 2.13, which says, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God is working in you when you see it and when you don't see it. God's working in you when you understand it and when you don't understand it. God's working in you whether you feel it or whether you... And we know, this is the same Paul that wrote Romans 8.28. And we know, same word, he knew it because he was absolutely convinced based on experience. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Perhaps some of you went through or are still going through something difficult or hard this week. That's one of the all things. Perhaps some of you experienced some fun this week. That's one of the all things. Do you have the confidence that God is working those things for good? Paul absolutely did, and we need to also. And if you are thinking that God doesn't care about every detail of your life, which I think sometimes we can, we can start to have this little pity party because, I mean, we, the minutia of our life, right? Um, we just get to thinking that like God is not interested in that or he's not caring about that. Well, then your homework assignment is to read Matthew 6. 
okay? That's the passage where Jesus told the disciples, if God cares about the birds and the flowers, actually your home assignment would just be to like, look out your back window, okay? And look at the birds and just wonder like, how do they keep living? You know, I mean, just there's always food for them. How does that happen? You know, um, it's because in Matthew 6, God said he cares about the birds and he cares about the flowers. And he says, if I'm going to take care of them, then you are of much more value than them. And I'm going to take care of you. So the takeaway here is that Paul could say, yes, and I will continue to rejoice because he understood that God was always at work in his life. Here's a little story. Paul, not the apostle, but our own Paul sitting right back there, um, invited me to lead worship at a Christian camp this week. And um, uh, a camp that he has been a part of for many years, starting as a camper and now as a staff member. Well, during the week, I was an eyewitness of God working powerfully in the lives of many at that camp, including my own. There was a camper and a young staff member there um, who used their God-given talents to write a song this week, um, and they played it on the last night to everyone. And the chorus goes like this, plan for you. He has a plan for me. Even when we can't see, he's always working through us. Um, I think I'm emotional because, you know, it was an emotional time. (laughs) Um, But that is the, let me read that again. God has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. Even when we can't see, he's always working through us. And that's the lens through which Paul viewed life. And I hope that those young people who wrote that song will never forget the truth in those words that they wrote as they grow older. You know, if you start believing that God is at work in your life at all times, then your life will be overflowing with joy. The reason I said I hope those young people never forget the truth in the words they wrote is because I've seen what can happen in the lives of those who do forget. What do I mean by that? Well, it's crystal clear in this passage that Paul trusts that God will never disappoint. He uses words like he knows. He has eager expectation and hope. Paul is saying, I can't wait to see how God's working in my life in these circumstances is going to play out. And this is the Paul that (laughs) was beaten and stoned, shipwrecked out on the sea for a day and a night. You know what our problem is? We tend to put God into a box, and I'm going to call it the box of expectations. And in that box, we already have in our minds what God coming through is supposed to look like. But the problem with that is that what we have in our minds might not ultimately be for our good. Remember the words of that song, even when we can't see, he's always working through us. Many people walk away from God because they personally experience something tragic or difficult or unfair 
or they observe others that do, and then they don't believe this anymore. <clears throat> they expect God to act according to their desires rather than according to what God knows is best for them and others around them and what will ultimately bring God glory through their lives. But if we have real faith, we're never going to say, I trusted God, but... We're never going to say that if we have real faith will ever be put to shame. God is, Psalm 25, 3. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. And this is God speaking in Isaiah 49, 23. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Let's move on to number two. Maybe I'll get less emotional. Uh, okay, number two. We will be rejoicing and have joy when we invite others to pray for us. So verse 19 goes on to say, we'll get a few more words here. This is why I didn't get to the six points. For I know that through your prayers. Wait a minute, Paul. We know that you were a prayer warrior. Are you sure that you didn't mean to write, for I know that through my prayers? No, he didn't, he didn't make a mistake. What I want us to catch here is that Paul is a man who understands the value of having other people pray for him. This is a man who understands that his own prayers, while good, while important, while necessary, while answered, they do not negate the necessity of inviting or asking other people to pray for him. When Jesus taught us to pray, right? He didn't say, teach how to pray. It wasn't my Father who was in heaven. It's our Father. It's the community calling on God. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us as we forgive. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. It's not enough for just me to pray. And it's not enough for just you to pray. We need to pray for one another. We see this work itself out in Acts 12 when Peter got put in prison. Um, the church, it says, was earnestly praying to God for him. If it only mattered that Peter was praying, was praying, then the scriptures could have just left out the part about the church praying. But the result of all those prayers is that God, God delivered Peter and Herod, who put him into prison, was struck down. God works when the church prays. The unfortunate part of being a pastor, and actually, <laughs> this is funny, I was going to tell this story, but, well, as a pastor, the two-edged sword of preparing to teach through a passage is that you want to clearly communicate what the Word of God is saying, but at the same time, it is cutting you to pieces with conviction in your own life. Um, I'll be the first to admit that I find it difficult to ask others to pray for me. <clears throat> and there's really no way to beat around the bush, make excuses. Um, my favorite football team is Clemson, obviously, which probably no one knows. <laughs> but uh, Dabo Sweeney is their head coach, and he says, like, there's no woulda, coulda, shouldas, you know. Um, and there's no woulda, coulda, shouldas 
on why I don't ask others to pray for me. It just comes down to pride and unbelief. And uh, I think an outside observer would say that I live like I don't need other people's prayers if they were to just observe how I live my life. Um, So either I think my prayers are enough or I'm thinking, well, I'll pray about it myself and if God helps me, great. And if not, I'll just figure it out on my own. Um, And I won't ask for a raise of hands, but I wouldn't be surprised if others kind of live that way as well. Um, But I'll repeat what I stated earlier for you all, but mostly for me. Though it is right and good to pray ourselves, that does not negate the necessity of inviting others to pray for us. And according to James 5, there are some things that only happen when others pray for us. Our Western culture drives us towards a very individualistic view of our own spirituality. But the fact of the matter is that when God brought you into the family of God, he meant for it to be a community of praying for one another, encouraging one another, helping one another. Paul had joy because he knew people were praying for him, thinking about him, standing with him, and he believed that the prayers of others would be answered by God. So another camp story. So as all of this was convicting me this week, I had a moderately bad and then through the night. And I was just toughing things out, you know, just mind over matter, medicating, lots of pills. Um, uh, and then, then again the next day, I woke up Tuesday with a, with a bad headache again. Um, but I felt like God was saying, do you believe this or not? So I texted the guys in my life group on Tuesday morning, and I asked them to pray that God would take away the headaches. Well, I didn't get immediate relief until Wednesday morning. I woke up. I felt great on Wednesday. No pills. I had a minor headache on Thursday. Not too bad. And zero headaches on Friday. None yesterday. None today. And this is with like not much sleep. We were up late Friday night. I was up late last night. And uh, so praise the Lord, you know, for that. After sending out the text and seeing the responses back, though, um, that they were praying for me, it gave me joy just knowing they were standing with me. And I thought, regardless of the outcome, this has brought joy to my life. Actually, I didn't text Paul because I didn't want him to feel he's in my life group but I didn't want him to feel bad that like that I had a that he knew it, uh, I had a headache while I was up there so I left him off the text string <laughs> that maybe that was wrong I just <laughs> um when you know that others are praying for you it will bring your heart joy but people can't pray for you if they don't even know you need prayer we need to let others pray for us so that we can experience not only the power of answered prayer but also the joy that comes from knowing that others are praying with you. This is one reason we encourage everyone to be connected to one of our three life groups. Even though we have a church family Facebook page where anyone on that page can share prayer requests, and they do, and we encourage that. The life groups are a more intimate setting where prayer requests and prayer for each other takes place. So if you're not connected to one of our three life groups, please talk with Eric, David, or myself, and we'll talk about how to get connected. Or if you're not 
you know, added to the LHBC Church Family Facebook page, we, we want to get you um, connected to that as well. So if you're not on that page, just let us know that as well, and we'll get you on that page so that, so that you can be a part of praying for others and sharing prayer requests. Number three, we will be rejoicing and have joy when we rely on the Holy Spirit to meet our needs. Back to verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So God is working, and they are praying, and Paul says specifically, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And that word translated help here, some translations is translated supply. Um, and in one other place, that word is used in the New Testament, in Ephesians, it's also translated as supplies. So in other words, the Holy Spirit supplies us. He gives what you and I need in the moment, in whatever challenge we are facing. And Paul trusts that whatever he needs will be bountifully supplied by the Holy Spirit. Has anyone ever been anxious about anything? Maybe uh, you had to give a presentation in front of a group of people or something. Um, Well, the Holy Spirit has you covered because he supplies peace. How many are tired of waiting in a situation? You've been waiting a long time for something. You've been praying about it, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. Well, good for you. The Holy Spirit supplies patience. You say, I'm so short-tempered, I just wish I could do something about this anger problem. Well, praise the Lord, the Holy Spirit supplies self-control. See how it works? I mean, this is how Paul believed the Holy Spirit was going to supply what he needed. And that's what gave him joy. Anything you and I need for any situation, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is ready and able to supply and equip you to be more like Jesus. Paul said he knows this to be true. And this is the same Paul who prayed for the Ephesians in Ephesians 3.16. I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Glorious unlimited resources. I'm sure there's some Star Wars fans in here. I won't ask who. Uh, But one of my favorite scenes of all time, and uh, (laughs) so I just watched it again on YouTube yesterday, um, is where uh, Mace Windu is fighting Palpatine, and Anakin comes in, and, 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 uh, and Palpatine is acting like, you know, he's dying and running out of strength and he's trying to get sympathy from Anakin uh, <laughs> uh, just to turn him to the dark side. And um, so he's like, I'm weak, Palpatine. I'm weak. Help me, Anakin. And then Mace Windu's like, I have to kill him now. And Anakin's like, that's not the Jedi way. And anyone remember that scene? <laughs> and, and then... Uh, and then Palpatine takes his hands and he like shoots lightning bolts through Mace Windows and he says, 
unlimited power. Then he kills Mace Windu. But um, the thing is, God is a gazillion times more powerful than Palpatine, right? He has glorious, unlimited resources. What a great verse. When we are walking in faith, believing that God is working all things together for good, and people are praying for me, and the Holy Spirit is equipping me with all I need, then all of a sudden you begin to feel that I'm not alone in this thing. And that brings joy. There's just a freedom in letting God be God to leave the outcome to him, whatever happens. It frees us from anxiety and having to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. You're letting God do that. The saddest thing we can do is walk through trials and difficulties alone and not tell anybody. The saddest thing, frankly, for pastors is when, you know, someone in the congregation is just flaming out in a tailspin. And you find out about it like after the fact, after they've crashed and burned. And then you're like, we, d- we didn't know. I mean, wh- no, why didn't you talk to someone? Why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you? I mean, w- that's why we have life groups because we try to get little smaller groups so we can know each other and know what's going on in each other's lives. But sometimes, you know, you don't always know. Or if someone doesn't want to share what's going on in their lives, then... Then, then you don't know. Number four, <clears throat> we will be rejoicing and have joy when we make it our ambition to honor Christ in and through our lives, no matter what. <clears throat> we will be rejoicing and have joy when we make it our ambition to honor Christ in and through our lives, no matter what. So as it goes into verse 20 from 19, um, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. First off, the hope that Paul's talking about isn't like, oh, I hope it all works out. Um, No, hope in a biblical sense is the anticipation of God's goodness. Um, It's like having a confident expectation uh, about it. And then Paul says, now as always. Always what? Well, in the beatings, in the shipwrecks, in the sleepless nights, in the hunger and thirstiness, standing before false accusers, and so forth. Paul desired to honor Christ through all these things. So let's contrast that and think of the more lesser things that that we deal with. Traffic jams, the air conditioner breaks down, the boss gives you an assignment you need to stay late to complete. Something unexpectedly came up that interrupted our plans to watch the game. Do we have as our ambition to honor Christ 
in all the things that oftentimes for us are inconveniences. And I don't mean to make light of of sufferings that we go through because we do. Um, I'm just trying to contrast some of the inconveniences that we have that we don't even honor Christ in, especially when the Chiefs are playing. Um, I'm not saying Paul liked the suffering and hardships. Nobody likes that. But Paul saw God using his pain for things that were extraordinary, like seeing converts in Caesar's household, like being able to share the gospel with Nero himself, the most powerful man in the world at that time. Who would have ever thought that that could ever happen? You know, it'd be like, what if God did something to you to where somehow you had the opportunity to get close enough to the president to share the gospel with him? What opportunity is the Lord providing to make you more like him or to be glorified in the things you are facing? Or maybe another way to ask that would be, in the things you are facing, are you seeing the opportunities that God is providing to make you more like him or to be glorified in the things, or how can he be glorified in these things that you are facing? So as things would turn out, and this is very interesting too, it's, um, we need to talk about it on a sidebar, but according to historical records, Paul was acquitted and set free. Um, in fact, it's very possible that he actually did get to visit the Philippians again before his death. Um, but what Paul makes clear in this passage is that freedom or imprisonment is not what matters most to him. His deliverance is not what matters most to him. Whether he lives or dies is not the main issue. Because no matter what happens, his main concern is to honor Christ in his body, whether that body is set free or whether that body is destroyed through death. Either way, his concern is that the greatness of Jesus be seen through his life. John Piper put it this way, quote, Paul wanted to show that Christ was great. Christ was honorable. Christ was worthy. Christ satisfies the soul that Christ was more valuable than anything. That's the goal. That's what Paul lived for. Christ's honor was his passion. He wanted to make Christ large. He wanted to make Christ great, to magnify him, like we sang in the song, in the eyes of others so that people would see how great Christ actually is. And this is what our life is for. And this is what our death is for. I just want to share another brief story as an illustration of what honoring Christ in our death might look like. <clears throat> so a couple of weeks ago, um, I attended the funeral service of Kim's dad, Don. And I don't know what impact, you know, he may or may not have had with respect to the gospel and the lives of other men. But what did come out during the service was his years and years of service in the Boy Scouts. And I couldn't help but notice, because I was sitting, me and Lisa were sitting like towards the back of the room, um, that there were just a number of uh, younger men who, 
when I say younger, they were probably more like my age, but they were, you could clearly see that they were men who um, or were of an age that it was apparent that, that, that Kim's dad had a positive influence in their lives. Um, most of them were wearing their Boy Scout uniforms in honor of, of Kim's dad. So I feel like in some way he touched their lives. And I was, I was actually hoping that at some point the pastor would say, um, would have recognized that and said, any of you who have been touched by Don's life, stand up. Because I feel like all these Boy Scouts in their uniforms would have just rose up from the chairs. Um, as I had been meditating on this passage for a while, God used that as an illustration to ponder what my funeral service would look like. Would Christ be magnified in my death? Would the auditorium be filled with individuals who would be giving glory to God because of the way my one life touched them? Because I live to honor Christ in my life. Paul wrote this to the Thessalonians in his second letter to them. Um, 2 Thessalonians 1.4 says this, Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. So here's this church that is um, uh, going through these persecutions and afflictions, and they're doing it, you know, wonderfully. So Paul is praising them and saying, you're just an example to other churches, and I'm boasting to, you, to, uh, to others about you. Well, why, why is that? Who did they see as an example of walking through life this way? Walking in faith, in joy in the midst of suffering and hardship. Paul, whose ambition it was to honor Christ no matter what. We know this because Paul talks about his experiences in Thessalonica in this first letter to the Thessalonians. And he says, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. Think of those words, for whose sake? For your sake. Paul was living in such a way for their sakes. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And then in chapter 2, Paul says, um, talks about how he and those with him had boldness to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So what if, I mean, what if Paul's response is, he went to Thessalonica, there was conflict, there was opposition, And what if Paul's responses to the conflict when he first came to Thessalonica were grumbling and complaining and and pouting and, man, this stinks kind of attitude? You know, the kinds of attitudes we have when we're having a a bad day. Here's the deal. Everybody's an example to somebody at whatever age. Everybody's an example to somebody. Your kids are watching you, your neighbors are watching you, your coworkers are watching you, your friends are watching you, somebody's watching you. If we live to honor Christ in and through our bodies, no matter what, 
Trust me, it will impact those around you. So Paul is saying he would be ashamed if he failed in this goal. He eagerly expects it. He's fixed his hope on it. He wants full courage to achieve it. Courage in the face of loneliness, courage in the face of intimidation, of slander, courage in the face of suffering. These things, if you're a human being, you know they just tie your stomach up in knots. And Paul doesn't have an S on his chest and wear blue and red tights. You know, he's, he's human just like us. He needs supernatural courage. And we need supernatural courage. Whatever happens in his chains, whatever happens in his trial, whatever happens when the verdict comes down, no matter what, Paul wants to honor the Savior, which he loves with all his heart. Make it your ambition to honor Christ, no matter what. Ask others to pray for you and rest in the confidence of knowing that God's people are praying for you and rest in the confidence that the Spirit of God will supply all that you need and is always at work within you. Let's pray. Pray. Heavenly Father, again, I thank you again for just working mightily and powerfully through Paul that, that we have a living example of a human being that, that it's, it's not like we can say, well, of course, well, that was God. I mean, well, well, of course you live that way, Jesus, because you're perfect. But we have an example of a human being <clears throat> who, in yielding his life to your power, to the Holy Spirit, and living his life this way, God, showed us how we could live life this way. The Thessalonians lived life this way. That's why he boasted about them. God, I pray that you would give us full courage to have as our ambition to honor you in our lives. I pray that you would give us the courage to ask others to pray for us. I pray that you would help us to rely more on the enablement of the Holy Spirit that's your want to enable us all the time. You want to provide what we need all the time. We need your help, God. We need your help. I think of the song that says, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. And just pray that you um, would empower us, God. Just just like it says in, in Ephesians 3.16, according to your glorious riches, unmeasurable riches. Um, Lord, thank you for this, and may we even honor you in, in the, rest of, the rest of the day we have today. In Jesus' name, amen.